Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Listen, why pay for a podcast where you can get it for free? It'll feel good. I promise you won't feel dumb if you give us five bucks a month for CanadaLand. You'll get these episodes without ads and you'll be helping to support us to do this in the first place. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. It takes moments to become a member, to become a supporter, to get ad-free podcasts. Just do it. This was supposed to be a rerun. I was supposed to be on vacation last week. So you were supposed to be getting a rerun. I mean, it was my birthday. But then, while I was supposed to be relaxing, We Charity became the biggest news story in Canada. Well, the charity at the centre of the government's much-scrutinised student volunteer program is pulling out of its partnership with Ottawa. There had been criticism with how the contract was awarded. In news that's just come in, the Ethics Commissioner has agreed to launch an investigation into Trudeau for potentially breaching the Conflict of Interest Act after the federal government awarded that $900 million contract to the WE charity organisation. WE has been rocked by layoffs and the loss of board members in recent months. 
deaths, and some have questioned why the charity was selected. As for the 35,000 students who applied for the grant program, the government says it does intend to keep it going, but that things might not work quite as well without we. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that we have been on this since 2015, scrutinizing the WE organization and its founders, Mark and Craig Kielberger. And in that pursuit, we were alone. Nobody else would take a squint at these guys. Almost every national news organization at the time was like literally partnered with them or, or working with them in one way or another. Some still are. And at the time, you could scarcely find a critical word written about them anywhere in the Canadian media, except for Canada land. And when we did publish those stories, uh, which we published in the face of more resistance than we've ever received for anything that we have done ever, well, crickets. Those stories by Jaron Kerr were not picked up by any mainstream Canadian news outlets. Nobody even acknowledged them. So yes, it was pretty fucking gratifying to see everybody else finally taking notice and putting we under a magnifying glass. And me, I was happy to just sit back and let the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the National Post, and even the CBC handle this. Let them report this thing out. But then came the holy shit part. The piece I knew nobody else would touch. We got into that. We pursued it. And the result of us pursuing it is a phone recording that we obtained of Mark Kielberger talking in 2017 to one of his most senior employees. And it is a lot. Mark, I, I'm not very good at words, but I'm trying to express to you how bad this is. I understand. You know, uh, right now, honestly, if I had a gun, I would shoot the motherfucker dead right now. Pete, maybe there was an error. I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure. I don't, I, don't, I don't really know how these things work, so... It's not an error. Honestly, I could call my guys tonight and take care of this guy. I'm not even joking. Okay. So, Pete, how can I help? People, today we are going to tell you what we can about we. And if all of this is new to you, or if you've been catching it in bits and pieces, we're going to back up. We're going to tell you the whole thing from the start. And we're going to run through our own story. That story about alleged crime, fraud, death threats at We Charity in Kenya. And I will talk about the revelation that We's lawyer hired private investigators to find out where I live and which school my kids go to. Happy birthday to me. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Brian Taverner, Brian Jenkins, Brad, Karen Jung, Ashley Austin, Michael Bergeron, Nicole Cooper, and Maddie Jolliffe. Hi, I'm Maddie Jolliffe, and uh, I'm a theater creator in Montreal. I support Canada Land because after the past couple of years, I actually don't trust any other Canadian news sources right now. And I think the work that the Canada Land team is doing to keep the other guys in check is vital. Also, Jesse's extremely validating rant about being forced to listen to Brian Adams is what I've been waiting to hear my entire life. I also really appreciate that typically not a week goes by where Indigenous issues aren't interrogated. Please keep duly noting the struggle. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. 
And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Andrea. Andrea Schmidt, our managing editor. Thank you for being here. You're going to help guide me through this because I, I tend to get tied up in knots and overly expansive. So you're going to interview me about this, and that's how we're going to inform our listeners. Glad to do this. Let's start at the beginning. Give us the brief on WE. What is it? What is WE? Uh, WE is a charity. WE is uh, a number of charities. It's also a, a social enterprise, they call it, with reference to their for-profit company. Actually, it's a number of for-profit companies. WE is a philanthropic organization. WE is one of the biggest charity, NGO, philanthropy, social enterprise things to ever come out of Canada, maybe the biggest. It is uh, a movement. WE is a movement. That's what, that's what they say, uh, the WE movement. What, what is WE? WE is active in something like 18,000 schools. They fundraise in schools. They also have curriculum in schools. They have a volunteering program that goes back more than 20 years. WE works with corporations, big companies like Fortune 500 companies, companies like Dow Chemical, Unilever, Hershey's. We does charity work. They build schools. They work on uh, delivering clean water. They've been active in Kenya, Ecuador, China, Haiti, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, India, and more. We is like uh, a celebrity thing. They have celebrity ambassadors and many celebrities are associated with them and give speeches on their stage or perform. Like who? Justin Bieber, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez, Natalie Portman, uh, Magic Johnson. They also are like political celebrities like uh, the Dalai Lama, Malala Yousafzai, uh, Prince Harry. It, like A++++, top level celebrities. So yeah, I don't know. We, we is, it's a charity. It's a company. It's a travel agency. They, they do these volunteerism trips. They are a media organization. They produce network television specials, books, uh, newspaper columns. They're a store. They are a producer of live stadium extravaganzas. My take, we as a brand 
ultimately. We is a brand that signals virtue and goodness and changing the world for the better. How did Canada Land start scrutinizing we? Because traditionally, Canada Land has been a media criticism organization. How did you end up focusing time reporting on a brand like we? Through covering the media, through covering the CBC, uh, through critical coverage of the CBC. Back in 2015, I did not know what we was, but we received a tip that a CBC documentary had been pulled from the broadcast schedule right before it was set to air. And what we found out in, in, in my reporting was that they, they removed footage from this documentary. It was a documentary called Volunteers Unleashed, which was something of a expose on volunteerism. It was a critical documentary looking at this practice of sending young teenagers from uh, North America to developing countries and questioning how much good they're actually doing and is this just a business or does it help? And what we found out is that when the WE organization learned that there was footage of a WE Day stadium event in this critical documentary. We all believe in change. They contacted the CBC. And the result of that was that it was pulled from the broadcast schedule. And when it finally did air, that footage was removed. So it was kind of a dramatic thing that we'd never seen before. I'd never seen any organization be able to get that level of um, influence over uh, CBC programming. And so that was just squarely something that was on Canada Land's radar. So that was the beginning for Canada Land. And then after, how did it come up again? Well, a funny thing happened after we posted that first story. I started to receive tips. I started to receive information from people who had worked for WE, for Free the Children, for Me to WE, people who uh, knew the Kielbergers and worked for them, people who worked for them in Kenya, all kinds of stuff, some of it really surprising stuff. And I learned pretty quickly that the reason why all of these people were bringing information was, A, because they felt that there were things that needed to be known, and B, they were bringing it to me, even though, you know, Canada Land was known very focused as a media reporting and critical outfit, because there was a conception that they couldn't bring it to anybody else, that other news organizations would not report on the Kielbergers. There was a widespread conception among the press that the Kielbergers and their organization were very litigious. That's not true. They haven't sued a media organization in over 20 years. Uh, what we did learn was that they are, I will argue, aggressive with critics and with reporters. What we did learn, what Jaron Kerr learned and ultimately reported in one of his stories, was that if a reporter at a We Day event so much as tweeted a few critical things about what they were seeing in the case of uh, this one reporter in the Halifax Chronicle Herald, she then got a phone call from her publisher, she says, about the matter. And we actually obtained internal documents from we where they're uh, talking about, we've seen these critical tweets from this reporter, what do we do? Perhaps somebody should call her editor. And that was sent to Mark Kielberger. And that's consistent with what we heard elsewhere. In the case of a teacher who was critical, her superiors were contacted. So there was an atmosphere where there was a bit of a chill, I will say. That's my opinion, that there was chill around talking about them. And then meanwhile, all these media organizations were partnered with the Kielbergers and various, you know, there was a, a section of the Globe and Mail that was the we section. It would go like, you know, sports, living, business, we. We found pictures of the editor-in-chief of the Globe and Mail speaking to teenagers at a We Day conference. So kind of hard for us to resist. We want to report on the things that other people won't report on. But it took us years. And there were a couple of reporters on it here at Canada Land before Jaron. One of the reasons was that the tips and the information we're getting was just so disparate. It was uh, 
about so many different things that to focus was a challenge. So what was Jaron ultimately able to distill into the pieces you did publish? Three pieces, three major uh, investigations. One, as mentioned, was about how they deal with the media. But uh, that wasn't the first one. The first one, we felt, spoke to the essential core and the origins of we as an organization. Famously, we was established to fight child slavery and child labor. Craig Kilberger, when he was 12 years old, learned about that there are children still enslaved in Pakistan making carpets, and he confronted Jean Chrétien about this. And that sort of launched his brand. That led to him being featured on Oprah and on 60 Minutes. And this was an organization that was established to fight child labor, child slavery. What Jaron Kerr discovered is that you fast forward a couple of decades and we was now working with brands that have child labor and arguably child slavery in their supply chains. Hershey's, for example, had a partnership with the WE organization. And you could go to a Walgreens and there would be a display with the face of a smiling African child and you would be told that by buying this Hershey's chocolate bar that was stamped with that logo of Me to We, you would be helping children in Africa. So we felt that that was an essential contradiction that people needed to know about. And that was what uh, the first story was about, was about these corporate partnerships and what they say about what has happened to that original mission. At the time, if I read correctly, we actually denied that that partnership was taking place in Canada. We denied that they were partnered with Kellogg's, uh, which was another brand that we found uh, both uh, from a source within the organization, graphics of Kellogg's products with the We logo. Uh, they later claimed that we uh, fabricated those those images. We did not. Uh, we also found on a We website listed under partners, uh, Kellogg's. Um, perhaps this was a partnership that was envisioned but never went forward. I'm not sure. And Walgreens is an American chain. so And they're an American chain. So perhaps it is technically true that they were not partnered with Hershey's in Canada. And I think that gives you a sense of how they responded in general to our inquiries. What was Jaron's third story? Yeah, so the final thing Jaron did for us is actually, I think, uh, really relevant again. It was about the internal labor practices of we throughout the years with specific reference to how they worked with young people, how they worked with young volunteers, what kind of wages people were paid, what the culture was, the temperaments of Mark and Craig Kilberger, what it was like within we, and how that's changed and improved over the years. That was a report where Jaron Kerr spoke to many, many people who had been through this um, process of being introduced to we at your own school because they have curriculum and clubs and schools and getting inspired and maybe doing enough volunteer work so that you get a free ticket to a We Day. And at that We Day uh, event, it's just this big multimedia extravaganza and you get inspired, you want to go on a volunteerism trip. And at the end of the volunteerism trip, you want to go work for them. This was what doing good meant for, you know, really thousands of Canadian kids. It still is. And some of them on the other end of that experience were left disillusioned and with a lot of critical things to say about the organization. And that's what that final report was all about. That sounds like an incredible amount of reporting work by Jaron. What was the response here in Canada? Muted. The stories were widely read, but I think we were disappointed that the stories didn't get more traction. There were a couple of factors in that. One thing that I, I kind of alluded to earlier is that we published those stories in the face of 
threats and an incredible amount of resistance. In our ongoing correspondence with them, with their many lawyers, with their press team, uh, they accused Canada Land of malice, of recklessness, of uh, exhibiting an astounding level of hostility. They accused us of harassing and attempting to attack members of the Kielberger family. They accused us, as I said, of fabricating images in our articles. Um, I think that would give pause to other media organizations. They retained lawyers from six different law firms, really high-profile lawyers like Peter Downard was Stephen Harper's lawyer, William McDowell. They sent us two notices of libel. They announced their intention to sue us. They assured us that we would be sued, and they told us they were going to do so in Manitoba, which is relevant because Manitoba is a province that, unlike Ontario, which is where both their headquarters and Canada Land exists, you know, kind of a few minutes away from each other, uh, but in Manitoba they don't have anti-slap laws, which gives some level of protection to the press. They hired a retired judge to review our reporting and issue a verdict on it. And Andrea, just uh, just this past week, I learned of something else that they did. Peter Downard, who, again, was uh, their attorney, he hired a private investigation firm to investigate Jaron Kerr and me. And I have come into possession of a page from that investigation, which reveals that some of the stuff that Peter Downard hired these investigators to provide uh, include my home address and the name of the school that my kids go to. So, you know, I have spent a lot of time investigating Craig Kilberger and Mark Kilberger. I've hired people to find out everything they can about Craig Kilberger and Mark Kilberger. It never occurred to me to try to figure out where their kids go to school. I just couldn't think of any possible uh, reason why that would be relevant information for us. What was the first thought that went through your head when you saw your kids' school there? I was deeply unsettled and disturbed by that. Separate entirely uh, was this, I don't know what you call it. We reported on this too, uh, a dirty tricks campaign that somebody launched against us. We were able to trace it, uh, this these series of editorials that we found, these articles that were popping up in the American press in like Texas and California. There was like five or six articles that popped up that were these strange editorials that were decrying fake news. And somewhere in the article would be Canada Land and uh, specifically our reporting on the WE organization as examples of fake news as it exists in Canada. And we did some digging, and I was able to find out that this was connected to a Republican strategy firm. And there were connections between some of the authors of these pieces. But I'll be very clear of this. WE has denied any involvement in that, and I have no evidence or reason to believe that they were directly involved in that. But I think that that, too, had an impact on the pickup of those stories. And people still come up to me on the street and say, how, how is it going? How is the lawsuit with WE going? We were never sued by the WE organization. Ultimately, they did not sue us. They promised us that they would. They, 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 they assured us that if we published what we, what we were going to publish, that they would sue us. They have not. Done, I mean, they still could, but they didn't sue us. And I think that was a really relevant thing because everybody in the Canadian media saw that too. Still sounds like a slightly stressful process for you and for Jaron and the rest of the team. Oh, my God. I have to tell you the truth. Like, we walked away from that just like, okay, we've provided some scrutiny. Let's move on. Because for a tiny organization like Canada Land, this was just a huge uh, stressor, a resource drain. We're, we have a core thing where we're supposed to be focusing our efforts on the Canadian media. So I think that after 
we were done with those three investigations, I would have been happy to not report on we anymore. Well, and you and I had exactly that conversation about three weeks ago. And then on June 25th of this year, we was back in the news. Yeah. I'll try to run through it for everybody. The Trudeau government, as part of their response to the pandemic, has a volunteering program. And it's a big one. It's almost a billion dollars, $912 million that needs to go out to youth, to teenagers who they want to get them working, doing good stuff, volunteering over the summer. And they have money to incentivize them to do that. And what was announced on June 25th was that they weren't going to do it themselves, that the We Charity got the contract. Trudeau said this was the best and only organization in Canada that could do this. That's sort of the news that I think people are kind of like, oh, it's interesting. I mean, maybe that makes a certain amount of sense. Maybe they've got the network for this and maybe this actually, you know, relieves the government. But then people started asking questions and to, and to run through the, the kind of questions that were asked and the concerns that were brought up. Well, people wanted to know how much of this money we was getting. They're getting at least $19.2 million of that. They, they said they're not going to profit from it, but that was what they were going to take to administer this. And then people started to wonder about the way in which they were getting all of these volunteers so quickly. Part of their plan was to actually pay teachers $12,000 each if the teachers could get like 75 volunteers signed up. So that raised concerns because you're like, wait a second, like the teachers now monetizing their database of students? That's a bit strange. There are questions about like giving like the money because it, it worked out to $10 an hour for volunteers. And some volunteering organizations that we tried to subcontract to said... We don't do that. We don't pay people hourly wages to volunteer. That's sort of antithetical to volunteering. And it kind of, it subverts the minimum wage that we're supposed to be paying. And how do we know this isn't going to cost people minimum wage jobs? Another concern was privacy. You know, we is in the business of uh, youth volunteering and youth is their market. What were the privacy rules around these thousands of volunteers who we was going to be coordinating? They had money for summer camps that could then subcontract and then get volunteers. It was remarked that this was like a multi-level marketing scheme. There were questions and concerns about like how they got this contract because there was confusion. Was anybody else considered? Was there a request for proposal? No. Mark Kielberger, a videotape that the National Post obtained, told a bunch of people that he got a call from the PMO directly offering him this contract. Well, that contradicts what Trudeau said. Trudeau said it was the public service. It was their idea. He had nothing to do with this. The public service was the one who said this should go to We Charity. And that led to questions about the connections between Justin Trudeau himself and the We organization. What do we know about the relationship between Justin Trudeau and his family and the We organization? Uh, that it's extensive, that it's very involved, that it goes back uh, to the beginning of his political career before he was even an, uh, an MP. Andrea, you have to recognize, like, I've spoken to MPs who found themselves working on an issue that we also was doing, you know, philanthropic work on. And the MP would say, can I go on your stage and give a speech? You've got all these young people here. Can I give a speech? And we told them, no, we don't want to politicize our events. Okay, so there are MPs who can't get on that stage. That's a good stage to get on. That's the same stage the Dalai Lama is on. That's the same stage Justin Bieber is on. And that is a stage that Justin Trudeau has been on again and again and again. When he wanted to be an MP in the first place, he went on a wee day stage. When he was running for the Liberal Party leadership, there is an old uh, news report uh, where, where it is tied to him. You see his amazing appeal, kind of evidence that this is, this is the guy the liberal should choose. He really connects with young people. And then as the years go on, he's done it again and again and again. And there are more connections than that because uh, Sophie uh, Gregoire Trudeau, 
She hosts one of their podcasts. They've flown her out. They paid her expenses to a trip to London. That's where she got the coronavirus. Uh, Idris Elba was there as well. Sasha Trudeau gave a speech at We Day. Margaret Trudeau gave a speech at We Day. We know that Justin Trudeau volunteered when he gave speeches. We don't know the same about Margaret or Sasha. Uh, it goes beyond that. It goes both ways. Craig Kielberger was on the election committee uh, for the last federal leaders debate in the last election. A uh, very powerful position that Craig Kilberger had that was awarded to him by Justin Trudeau. And Nora Laredo has been documenting all of the pre-existing contracts, uh, no-bid contracts. Some of them were actually just priced so they would just be right below the threshold where you would have to get different bids and proposals. So there's been a significant, much smaller, uh, but a significant amount of money that has already passed from the federal government to the WE organization. So... Yeah, Craig Kilberger and Justin Trudeau have known each other as sort of like rising young people with a lot of the same brand attributes. They've helped each other and their mutual assent has sort of mirrored one another's. So the announcement gets made that they're going to administer this fund. The NDP and the Conservative Party of Canada start asking questions. The media covers the announcement. We're starting to see reports, more reports than I think you have probably ever seen uh, in the Canadian media about we questioning some of what's going on. What was going through your mind when you saw all that reporting? I was on vacation and uh, watching the story develop in drips and drabs, frankly, by reporters who are better at that kind of reporting than we are to, 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 to investigate a government contract and to look at who benefits from this and how is it supposed to be done, getting quotes from volunteer organizations who were uh, incredibly offended by this, the idea that only the WE organization was equipped. To, you know, There were things that we wouldn't have known how to do, and, and it's a tremendous amount of work. And we had always hoped that our efforts would make it possible for the media to start doing this. And so I was happy to just kind of kick back and enjoy my birthday and let this process play out. Mm -hmm. What happened? What happened was that people started to DM me and say, oh, my God, have you seen this? Have you seen this website? And it was a link to a website called Odd Truths about we. And what I've been able to confirm is that the author of this website is who he says he is, Santai Kimakeki, a former we employee. He worked for different organizations within we in Kenya. Uh, and he worked there for 10 years, and he has an extensive relationship with them. They paid his scholarship. He is married to somebody who worked there as well. And he left under terrible terms. He parted ways with them. And this was his whistleblower website, Odd Truths About We, in which he makes a slew of shocking, serious, some criminal allegations that I won't even repeat here because these allegations, which are, you know, detailed and have some uh, documentation on his website, would require an extensive amount of independent verification to uh, render them reportable, at least for us. That is work that has yet to be done, but it was public. It was on the internet and people were passing it around and I retweeted it. I said, these are some unverified and shocking claims from somebody who worked at a senior level. He was a senior director by the time he was done. They're unverified, but it's from somebody who worked there. Here they are. And within an hour, I received an email from We Charities attorney, Howard Winkler. What did that email say? Dear Mr. Brown, 
We have noted your retweet. We are writing to bring to your attention that the information contained in this tweet and website link is false. In fact, the contents of this post and linked website have been previously renounced by Mr. Kimikike in a witnessed statement in which he also admits his misconduct in relation to the charity. Please be advised that we understand that Mr. Santai Kimikeke has been charged in his home country of Kenya in January 2020 with forgery in relation to falsifying information for the purposes of securing a bank loan for his personal financial benefit and further counts of forgery and extortion. We understand that Mr. Kimikeke was also arrested on February 17, 2020 for investigations by the Anti-Terrorism Police Unit in Nairobi. A responsible journalist would immediately remove my, my retweet. That's a pretty heavy email. Yeah. Did you remove the retweet? No. I dug in. I started to look into this whole Kenyan thing. And through that process, I came into possession of a recording. It's a recording of Mark Kilberger, the co-founder of the WE organization, in conversation with a guy named Peter Ruhiu who at the time had a really big job for the Kilbergers organization. Kenya is one of the main core centers of where their philanthropic efforts go. They have uh, a compound there. They send tour groups there. It's, they have a big operation in Kenya. And Peter Ruhiu ran it for them for many years, as well as their operations in Tanzania. So this is a conversation that Mark Kilberger had with Peter on July 23rd, 2017, it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to hear um, everything that Peter is saying, and I'm going to provide some context afterwards. But why don't we give our listeners a sense of what that conversation sounded like? Okay. I'm so sorry to call you. No, 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 Peter. I appreciate the phone call. It's, this is obviously mission critical, so I, I get it. Yeah. Mission critical and also allies right now. The bureaucrat has allies in hands. He can fucking do whatever he wants. A bureaucrat has her life in his hands. He can fucking do whatever he wants. Okay, Jesse, give us some context. Help explain what it is we're hearing there. Okay, I will take you through it as best I can. Uh, and I think we've, we've done a pretty good job of figuring out what is happening, at least on the surface of that conversation. So at the time of that conversation, Free the Children, which is WE's NGO, non-governmental organization, that's their charity in Kenya. It was under investigation. Kenya, like Canada, they tightly regulate charities. And in Kenya, it's in the form of NGOs. And what happens in this recording is, it's pretty surprising stuff. You can actually hear Peter Ruhiu talk about how it was so difficult to get a large amount of money to these government investigators, to get them to accept it. Because these investigators didn't trust Peter or Free the Children. In order to take this money, they had to trust them. It took them hours to give them a lot of cash. But ultimately, they took the money, and Peter explains to Mark Kilberger, we were so close. You could smell it. We were so close to our goal. But then everything got fucked up. And it got fucked up by a, another employee of the Kilberger's organization, Santai Kimikeki. Why Santa did that? I don't understand it. 
Santai Kimikeki was trying to get his wife a visa extension and was also in contact with this NGO regulator. And through a complicated set of circumstances, he fumbled and aroused the suspicion of a guy named Steve, who was the lead investigator. And as a result of this, as Peter tells Mark Kilberger, Steve and the other investigators now no longer trust Free the Children. In fact, they now believe that Free the Children was trying to entrap them and turn them over to the cops. Basically, Steve is like, um, you guys are trapping me, this is a trap, um, because, you know, you already gave us some cash uh, last week, so this is basically a trap. You're basically playing games. You're basically, you know, um, uh, trying to show us, uh, me and my team, that, you know, um, you're going to call the cops on us. And their position towards Free the Children, whereas it had just recently been amenable, now... They feel like they're fighting. Their position was, go ahead, tell the cops on us. We will fucking shut you down. It's going to be like, fuck you. We're going for a full audit. And not only full audit, full audit is fucking prejudice. Every arm of this fucking government is going to come down hard on us from tomorrow. Okay. It will be. There will be officers from every fucking conceivable government arm in this combat tomorrow. Mm. Okay. So, Peter, I, 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 I don't, I, I sincerely didn't understand. Now I have a better understanding. And what Peter believes is about to happen, if this isn't fixed somehow, is they will audit, their investigation will now have extreme prejudice against Free the Children. Mark Kielberger asks, well, what could they actually do? What could they find? And uh, Peter lists all kinds of offenses. But, but can I? Can I? Can I? Just I'm simply humbly seeking a, um, clarification on that. What What can they do? So basically, uh, they shut down Kideros um, and the other politicians um, and the NGO in uh, the USA, USAID NGO is the freeze account. Mm-hmm. It's up. Mm-hmm. And then the Colombian officers come with police. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, they get other government um, agencies involved, uh, KRA, mm-hmm. the main one, mm-hmm. um, Central Bank, mm-hmm. um, the, the criminal ECIO, uh, Department of Criminal Investigation. Mm-hmm. But on, on what basis? On what basis? He has so many bases. Oh gosh, there's so many. There's so many. You know, the fact that, you know, we're running an NGO without a, without a full board, uh, the member of the board is also the uh, the chairman, mm-hmm. you know, that's already, you know, they're all criminal offenses, basically. Mm-hmm. And of course, another leg in the coffin, you know, they obviously alert the, the media. And I say, get some help being opened, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm actually used, literally using the word, you know, hell. He calls it Armageddon. This is the end of us if we don't fix this. Which is a pretty intense conversation. And Mark Kilberger is responding very calmly And then the conversation gets even more heated. Yes, specifically, and everybody heard a little bit of this off the top, Peter is furious with Santai. And I want to play a little bit more of what he has to say about Santai and what he plans to do to him. Right now, honestly, if I had a gun, I would shoot the motherfucker dead right now. Okay. You know, it is, Mark, I'm not very good at words, but I'm trying to express to you how bad this is. I understand. So I just, I 
don't know if I see Santa and what's going to happen. Honestly, I don't know. Okay, well, Pete, maybe there was an error. I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure. I don't, not I, don't, I don't really know how these things work, so... It's uh, not an error. Honestly, I could call my guys tonight and take care of this guy. I'm not even joking. He's not going to jeopardize my life, your life, a lot of people's life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Pete, how can I help? So, please, first and foremost, we need to fucking find out what the hell Santa is trying to do. I mean, at first he sounds to me like he's just venting, like, oh, if I see that guy, I'm going to kill him. And maybe we shouldn't take it too seriously. But as he goes on, he kind of renders those threats uh, to my ear. My analysis of this is that he, he, he lends them a little bit of weight and, and says, I could call my guys tonight and take care of this guy. Mark does not encourage him. And I'll be clear about this. When Mark says, how can I help? I don't think it's with specific reference to how can I help you get your guys together to do something to him. I think he's just trying to, throughout the conversation, he says, how can I help? I think he's trying to offer his help for the whole situation. And his calm tone seems to be like, how can I help kind of calm this whole thing down? But he does not dissuade Peter Ruhiu from these violent statements. And this is, these are statements about one of Mark Kilberger's employees. When listening to this, I also noted how freely Peter talks about what Peter calls criminal offenses that Free the Children could be found and will be found guilty of, and is openly talking about paying off government officials and things like that with Mark Kilberger. A lot of people are wondering, how did you get this recording? I'm not telling. I, I got it from a source, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about which source it was, but um, that is the natural question to ask, yes. You reached out to Mark Kilberger and sent him the recording and asked for his response, if he had any. His lawyer, Howard Winkler, answered. What did they have to say about it? Here comes a plot twist. The recording in your possession was illegally obtained, and you are in possession of stolen property, which you have no right to possess or use. By way of background, In 2017, We Charity conducted a spot check of operations and financials in Kenya. It identified irregularities. As a result of the investigation, the employment of Peter Ruhiu and Santai Kimakeki were terminated. And they were charged by the Kenyan police with crimes including theft, fraud, forgery, extortion, and other serious matters, with further investigations ongoing. Both individuals signed witnessed confessions, and investigators determined that all We Charity funds were returned. This matter is before the Kenyan courts. Here's the plot twist. The recording of which you have a copy was initiated at the request of the police and was taped at the request of the police as part of their investigation. I must advise you the publication of illegally obtained information may open you up to further legal action. So to summarize, their response is that Mark Kielberger was working with the Kenyan police to draw out his own employee and get him to confess to his crimes for this police investigation. That is quite the plot twist. Were you able to verify that? I tried. I asked Mark Kielberger uh, through Howard Winkler some, I think, pretty important follow-up questions. And I'll read those questions verbatim so there's no confusion about exactly what I was asking them for. Can you or Mark Kilberger provide documentation that demonstrates that the Kenyan police initiated and requested Mr. Kilberger's phone call with Peter Ruhiu on July 23rd, 2017, as you write? 
Presumably, Mr. Kielberger emailed this recording to the police. Can you send screenshots of this email, including the recipient's name, so we can verify? I didn't limit it to that in case they had other evidence of this. I asked them, quote, can you or Mark Kielberger provide documentation that demonstrates that Mark Kielberger brought suspicions about Peter Ruhiu to the Kenyan police before July 23rd, 2017? And could they? No, they could not. In, in fact, Andrea, they, they actually changed their story. At first, on July 2nd, they said, quote, the recording of which you have a copy was initiated at the request of the police. But when I asked for proof of that, they said, quote, these recordings were initiated by Mr. Kielberger in cooperation with Kenyan authorities. Did they provide proof that the authorities were involved in that call at all? Again, no. They, they provided two documents. Both were from people who work or worked for we. One of those documents was from a former law enforcement authority, uh, Joseph M. Kamau, who used to run the Directorate of Criminal Investigations in Kenya until he retired in 2006. In his letter to us, he did not say that the police were working with Mark Kilberger at the time of that phone call. What he wrote was that he had been requested by We Charity Canada to do an independent assessment of an investigation that was conducted by Wee's own management. And he doesn't tell us when this happened. Uh, he says that in his assessment, we did everything on the up and up. They acted properly. They acted proactively. He says that none of this was abnormal. What about the second document? That one was from Michelle Hambly. She has been with WE for over 15 years. And according to her LinkedIn, she is currently uh, head of operations for WE Villages International. But Michelle Hambly uh, used to work for WE in Kenya, where she was Peter Ruhiu's wife. And she tells us in her letter that was delivered by Howard Winkler that the organization began investigating Peter in 2017. She does not give us a date, just 2017. And she says that, quote, the organization also helped my children and I relocate to Canada at my request to ensure that we would be safe. So anyhow, neither of them in those letters back up Mark's claim that he was working with the cops when the phone call took place. I want to say this, though. It is entirely possible that Mark Kilberger was conducting some other kind of investigation of Peter during that call that we all heard. Uh, Mark's lawyer insists that I am, quote, suggesting that Mr. Kilberger was complicit and assisted in or condoned the criminal conduct of Mr. Ruhiu. I am absolutely not suggesting that. I don't know. I have no idea what is actually going on beneath the surface of that phone recording. Uh, I think that further reporting should interrogate that. And there is nobody in this mess who disputes that eventually the Kenyan police were involved. But I am focused on that phone call. And in terms of our efforts to verify Mark Kielberger's claim that that call was something that he did in collaboration with the cops at the cops request, we just don't have anything that substantiates that. Okay. Back to Canada after all the Kenya. Canaland publishes your report called Crime and Fraud at We Charity in Kenya. And then you and editor Jonathan Goldsby went to bed. You woke up the next morning, a couple hours later, really. What happened? By 10 o'clock that morning, their deal with the Trudeau government is off. 
And there's even some confusion in, in, in the messaging around that. The uh, the original statement from the government says it was a mutual decision. They both decided this wasn't a good idea. Later on, we says, no, we were the ones who broke this off. Uh, obviously, the way uh, this situation has unfolded has been uh, unfortunate. Uh, we will continue to work hard to make sure that young people get the opportunities to serve their country, but it will uh, no longer be with the organization WE. Uh, as for we, I think the organization is going to uh, take some uh, time to reflect on its next steps. They have to reflect about their future. And I kind of imagine them like, you know, is he sending them off to a yoga retreat or a meditation center? What I worry here is that this is the language of trying to just move on with things. Whereas the questions persist. Why did you choose them? Why didn't it work out? What's wrong with this organization? What actually happened? Jesse, why do you think it all unraveled so fast? What do you think made we give up the contract to administer the program in the end? My analysis of this, um, my opinion is it was a death by a thousand cuts. I mean, there were other things happening within WE that have not been widely reported. Amanda Maitland used to work for WE doing speeches about anti-racism. In mid-June, as this reckoning was happening at many organizations with racialized employees and former employees speaking up about systemic racism, she posts this video to Instagram in which she talks about the racism that she says she experienced at WE. She talks about how they rewrote her speech about anti-racism for her. And she talked about how after Canada Land's report by Jaron Kerr about the workplace culture and the workplace issues and the labor issues that we, after we published that, that resulted in a kind of town hall session within we, and at that town hall, she had a direct encounter with Mark Kielberger. In this meeting, there was about 50 people, and we were asked to share if the articles aligned with our experiences. And I put my hand up, and then I started and shared that some of the things within uh, this article really did resonate with me. I saw the culture affair. And one thing that I said was that so many people are having siloed conversations that they're so scared to talk to people in positions of power where true change can get implemented. And not one, not two, not three heads nodded, but the whole room was agreeing with me. And I believe that was a threatening thing. Um, and then the founder then stepped up from the wall and completely shut me down in an instant. It was like, no, we're done. We're not having this cut. Just very blunt, disregarded of anything that I said. So she and Rhea Carey, another former employee of WE's, uh, they launched a petition for uh, racialized WE employees, past and present, demanding anti-racist action. And that got over a thousand signatures. Uh, we has since apologized for harming its racialized employees, which was a very different response to criticism than I've ever seen from that organization. Taking it as a whole, everything that was happening in those first few days of July, I think that it's only accurate to say that they have never received this much public criticism and scrutiny coming at them from all sides. In, in two decades of existence, nothing like this has ever happened. They were getting it from the NDP, from the conservatives, from the public service, from the press, from their own former employees. And on top of all that and all at the same time, here comes Canada Land again with this recording, which I will only describe as very off-brand. So my take is... They recognized that it was getting this government contract in the first place that exploded all of this. And the best way to turn the pressure off was to no longer have that contract. 
You know, it was the curse of the billion dollar contract. So I don't know which straw broke the camel's back. I've seen journalists trying to take credit that their story was the story that did it. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't know which straw broke the camel's back and I don't particularly care. But I will take some credit. Uh, I will take some credit, and I think Canada Land deserves some credit. No one's going to give us that credit, so I'm going to claim that credit uh, for loosening the pickle jar on We Charity. Because, like, remember, before we started, journalists thought that if you criticize We in print, you explode in a fireball of litigation. But we ran our stories, and they threatened, but they haven't sued. And I think that broke the spell. And I took note of just like a little thing that happened. Listen to this. This is something that happened last fall when uh, the province of Ontario, the Ministry of Education, they gave we a quarter of a million dollars uh, for mental wellness education. And there's this press conference where the uh, education minister, Stephen Lecce, is asked these questions from Jack Howen from QP Briefing. Here's a clip from CP24. I, I saw one of the uh, organizations being funded uh, with this new funding is is WE, the WE charity. Yeah. Um, Canada Land's done some reporting on them. Lots of employees at, uh, or former employees at WE have spoken to Canada Land and said that uh, their mental health was trashed while working at the company. Is that a, a concern for you? You know, I think the priority for me today is ensuring that we're utilizing organizations that could add value in classrooms. And then before Friday was done, the Conflict of Interest and Ethics Commissioner launched an investigation of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, his third, I believe, over the government's decision to task the WE Charity with administering the Summer Student Grant Program. And the question that will be asked is, what did you know when? How involved were you in picking this buddy-buddy organization of yours? Why didn't you recuse yourself? That's the kind of stuff we've been there before with this Prime Minister, and that's what's going to happen next. Do you think they're going to get more scrutiny on a sustained basis going forward now? Yes and no. And I'm, I, I'll tell you the truth. I'm actually worried right now. I feel like if the intention is to turn down the heat, turn down the journalistic scrutiny, stop all these questions, I fear it's going to work. And there are so many questions to be asked. For example, the chair of the board of We Charity in Canada resigned this past March. The chair of the board of we in the United States resigned this past March. And as the CBC reported, almost every other board member on both boards, U.S. and Canada, either resigned or was replaced. Something happened. We need to know what. Now, uh, we has said what happened. They said that they, they, they needed to refresh the board. It was time for movement and renewal in the board. And as CBC has reported, they have replaced the board. It's a smaller board now. And the people on the board are people who have worked largely. They are people who've worked at WE for many, many, many years. And I think it's, it's just only reasonable to say there will be far less autonomy from the board of directors going forward than there was in the past. So what happened? There were hundreds of layoffs at WE in March. What's going on there? More than that, I'm worried that we are going to once again be the only news organization looking into all of the allegations on Santae Kimikeki's website. And I think that's a reasonable fear because the story that we have reported into the atmosphere, like we reported a story, it was like a steady drumbeat of revelations, you know? They're giving the money to teachers, and there were questions about that. They're giving the money to summer camps, there's questions about that. CBC says the board of directors resigned. Every few hours, let alone days, there was another revelation in this building news story. And then we throw into that drumbeat a story that here is the co-founder having this conversation that by his own description 
exposes corruption at a very high level in the We Charity organization at a moment when this is the biggest news story in Canada and crickets. Again, just like when we published our first stories. Nobody picked up that story, built on it. Nobody even referenced it in the mainstream media. And we were reporting the next big progression in the biggest story in the country. I want to throw a hypothetical out there for people listening to this. Can you imagine that if the recording that we had was not Mark Kilberger speaking to the country director of his Kenyan operation, but if it were a recording of Mark Kilberger having that exact same conversation with, say, Michelle Douglas, the uh, recently resigned chairperson of WE's board of directors in Canada, and they were discussing paying off government investigators, and she was making death threats, and he was listening on. The exact same conversation, but both people were here. I cannot imagine a reality where the media would just ignore that. I think it's because it happened in Kenya. I think it's because there is this conception that that is just some sort of heart of darkness place where corruption reigns. And that whatever happens there is sort of excusable because that's just the way things operate there. I don't know what to say. I've, I've read those tweets. This is not a story about greasing a few palms for a, a visa or something. This is where a lot of the money raised for we in Canada gets spent. Even by Mark Kilberger's own description, this is about really serious crimes within the WE Charity organization. That story was ignored. What about all the other information on Santai Kimikeke's blog? There's so much there. But as you said earlier, it's hard to untangle exactly what's going on and even harder to substantiate it and verify all those allegations. What are we supposed to make of it at this point? It sounds like a job for journalism. It is uh, exactly the kind of thing that you would hope reporters would jump at and say, OK, there's a lot to chew on here. Let me start chewing. But I don't feel like it's our story. I feel like the more the merrier. We need a lot of eyes on this. Another question that comes to mind, given that this is now in the public eye, do you know if Santai Kimikeke is safe right now? Yeah, I do. As we speak, he is safe. So I'm pretty new to Canada land, but I'm not new to journalism. And to me, this feels like the beginning of a story and not the end of a story. What do you think, Jesse? Stay tuned. That is your Canada Land episode. If you liked it, become one of the people who support us. We rely on you. Click on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. We have a website, canadalandshow.com. We also have a newsletter. Come sign up for that newsletter and we will tell you all the things that we have published that maybe you missed this week. And we won't bug you too much, I promise. This episode was produced by me, Kasia Mihailovich, and Andrea Schmidt, with assistance from Jonathan Goldsby. Syndication is handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.